So is this the uh, the hangover episode of Clerically Speaking? <laughs> I was so nervous last week. <laughs> you you super super were. <laughs> and not only that, I could tell by the episode. I thought to myself, I mean, I know I can talk fast. Mm-hmm. But I talked, we both talked really fast did. in that episode. <laughs> I must ask the bishop a good question. I must ask it well. I must not pause. I have to get my words out. I must not look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, producer Nick was telling us that uh, I think he deleted three minutes worth of ums from both of us, which is why we sounded so good on the podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. That's that. That's dedication right there as, as a producer. It is. He, he did a good job. He was um very excited because whatever sound files Word on Fire sent him, they were like way more complicated than what we send him. And he was telling me stuff. I didn't understand the word he was saying, but he was super excited. He's like, I haven't worked on something like this since like college. This is amazing. This is so much fun. So that's <laughs> right. Nick had a good time uh, putting <laughs> that all together. And I said, you know, this is the episode that gives to all the staff. And then Riley was, well, she was, what, what, what about me? I said, well, you get it, you get all the emails. Yes, I'm sure we get emails. So you know, like there you go. Yeah, you get something too. Yeah, congratulations. You're welcome, producer Riley. And I said, you know, you have to remember, like you have to remember, like they're one flesh now. So really, what is his Nick's joys are also her joys. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. That's how it works. That's how marriage works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of something that's um, tangentially related to marriage, nope, that's not a good segue. That's not going to work. Uh, speaking of uh, spouses, um, uh, what I'm trying to say is I'm getting really into the devotion to St. <laughs> Joseph is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Go. Go. Okay. Uh, so it's been one of these things like St. Joseph has always been kind of around, kind of, I mean, maybe appropriately, quietly present in my life. Uh, when I made my, um, so whenever a priest is ordained, uh, very often they'll make a little holy card. They'll pick some kind of image, a prayer on the back. You pass it out to people. So they pray for you, pray for your priesthood. And I have this little icon, uh, St. Joseph holding, uh, the child Jesus. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is what I have to do. Um, but my devotion never went any kind of further than that. There were a few times that mm-hmm. I had reached out to him in seminary and prayers were answered, but it wasn't anything major. Um, anyway, the seminarian who's here with us has a pretty big devotion to St. Joseph. And he handed me one of these uh, consecrations to St. Joseph, mm-hmm. which apparently is like getting really big now. Oh, There's like okay. a couple different kinds of, you know, just like the uh, Marian consecration got big, I don't know, like maybe 10 years ago, um, mm-hmm. at least in our area. Uh, now it's like the St. Joseph consecration is blowing up and there's multiple books about it and such. And I told my spiritual director that I was doing this. He's like, yeah, everyone's doing this. So that's exciting. That's hmm. cool. And it seems to make a lot of sense because if St. Joseph is the patron saint of and like protector and guardian of like the church, that sounds like a thing we need right now. Um, fatherhood things sounds like a thing that we need uh, help with now. And... It's been a while since I've picked up either a book or started some sort of prayer thing where the Lord was like, yes, do this. <laughs> and it was very nice. much the feeling I got in prayer. It was very, very affirmative. So that's been awesome. exciting. So, cool. So what does the consecration, to, like, what is the what is the purpose of the consecration to St. Joseph? Know, What's the purpose of a consecration to a particular saint in general? You know what? That's a really good question. Um, that I, that uh, we I'm could sure some of our listeners are asking. That we probably could do an entire episode on. But like in a probably short could. way, I think a uh, 
so there's there's of course the big consecration um like there's the consecration of the eucharist right right uh, bread and wine becomes body blood stone the name of jesus christ uh when you're ordained you're you're consecrated right um so those are like kind of like the, the big consecrations but in a lesser sort of sense uh a small c consecration if you will uh it's kind of like you are taking on a particular devotion or spirituality um of the person you are consecrating yourself to if that makes sense and really like if you look at any of these kinds of consecrations they're all like a kind of renewal of baptismal vows a desire to uh begin again in your spiritual life um you know this is you know there's this uh christian thing like a lot of times Protestants they do like the altar call, call thing right or they wait until you're really on fire when they baptize you um, of course we don't agree with that because we like baptize the baby right away but there is that desire for a person once they come to a certain age where it's like I need to start taking my faith more seriously and I think in Catholic spirituality different consecrations are a way to kind of do that gotcha so when are you opening a wood shop I <laughs> so um, hmm uh, I don't know if anybody wants me to do that um, there's but Saint of, Joseph does he maybe he does maybe by the time I get to the end of my consecration Saint Joseph will uh, <laughs> intercede and gain me the grace to actually be handy with any kind of uh, do you tool. own any flannel I do not own any flannel sadly I have a lot of a lot of cardigans that's really the first step. Because you need the flannel to go into the woods to chop down the wood, mm-hmm. right? That That's the first step of woodworking, mm-hmm. right? And then you need to get a shop, and you just need to start carving things like St. Joseph. Yeah, see, Building the carving tables. thing. Now, I will say this. Wood chopping is a super fun thing to do. Okay. Very satisfying. Whenever uh-huh. uh, we were build uh, bonfires in seminary, I'd be like, I I volunteer to to chop wood. It is it is good. Hmm. Nice. But, so, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so did you know that St. Joseph is also the patron saint of Canada? I did not know that. Which means by the transit of property, by being consecrated to St. Joseph, you'll be Canadian. Wow. Wow. I was. I are used you, are to you be sure about this? Not anymore. No. I used <laughs> to be really excited about this. Now I am not. Um, but we're probably going to go through it anyway. I mean, it kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, it kind of, it kind of sucks in one way because Why? he's also the universal patron. So whenever the, he's, a, it's a, it's a feast day for him. It's a solemnity for the whole church. While like, if it was our local, like our national patron, if it was someone else, like let's say it was St. Augustine or something right. like that, then the 28th of August would be a national solemnity for us. Right. And then you could celebrate appropriately. Instead, we got to share it with the entire universal so church. It's sort of like, uh, being born on Christmas day. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. not as special. <laughs> yeah. Part of it. So a good person to look into actually, if people are interested in learning more about St. Joseph. So the oratory, uh, the St. Saint, there's St. Saint Joseph's oratory in Montreal, mm-hmm. which is a national shrine to St. Joseph. It's one of the, it's the biggest, I think St. Joseph's shrine in the world. Um, so you should go to there one day when this is all over to, make a pilgrimage to St. Joseph. But uh, a lot of theology, a lot of theology about St. Joseph comes out of there. And it was because of St. Andre Bessette, who is a Canadian saint, who really worked hard to promote the cause and devotion to St. Joseph. And uh, so we can, you could actually thank St. Andre Bessette for a lot of that. Okay, cool. This yeah. is good because this is all kind yeah. of like new. So I'm very yeah. excited to yeah. dive so, into so, this. Yeah, St. Andre Bessette's really good into looking this, into this stuff and to, to see... Uh, um, to see if there's there's probably resources through the Holy Cross Fathers about theology and stuff around St. Joseph. Yeah. 
So yeah, I'm really excited to dive more and more into this devotion. Uh, but for now, let's dive into this episode of Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. And uh, so yesterday was my day of rest, and uh, I went up to Parksville, which is about 25 minutes north of me, and I went to visit uh, Andy and Jane Corvermaker. I think I'm pronouncing their last name right. I, I got to know Jane online through Twitter for years, so uh, their family was at a, a little resort there for a few days for holidays. So I went out there. I said mass, which was nice because, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, it's nice. I mean, I say mass on my day of rest, but there is something better, at least with the way the Novus Ordo goes, to have people around with you at mass. Oh, absolutely. Having at least you, one person yeah, makes a yeah. huge difference. Yeah. You can say mass on your own, and we and I often do, but it, it's preferable, and it's nice. So yeah. it, it's, it's, it's also easier to motivate yourself to say it. Not that you don't love the mass, but when you've just said five masses in a weekend, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, can I have a day off, Lord? Yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. yeah you know? I'm, I'm not saying I don't, folks. I'm just, it's temptations that come along. Right, um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so it was really nice. Just had a, I was up there for about five hours, saw their kids and uh, Jane's mom, and, and it was just nice to finally meet them. And now they're, they're begging me to download StarCraft II. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is definitely a game I played a lot of back in the day. Wait, StarCraft 2. You mean, you, you know, so do you mean the new, the newer StarCraft? Because there was StarCraft. Then there was the expansion. That was the Brood War one. And then there's like the relatively newer one. I think it's the relative. Well, there was StarCraft 2. StarCraft, yeah, no. Like there's StarCraft and there's a big expansion to it. And then StarCraft 2 came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago? Now, now you're because the original StarCraft was I played that game all the time. Right? No, I did that. I did that too. And then like the but yeah, no, no StarCraft. Yeah, like no, there was definitely StarCraft too. I'm not Wings of Liberty. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like uh, that's like the right. I don't think we're yeah. actually disagreeing. Okay. Anyways, but, yeah. So they came out with like uh, three different ones, one for each right. of the races. Wow, we got real nerdy yeah, yeah. real quick. We didn't even. Yeah. But there you so go. So yeah. I'm actually it's 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 downloading today. So. Because, uh, like, Father Daryl Millette, who listens to the podcast uh, from Saskatoon, uh, not a classmate of mine. We kind of just missed each other at the seminary. We've gotten to know each other really well. He plays with them and stuff. And I said, you know, maybe once a week or twice a week, that's for an hour or so, that's not a bad idea. I am totally going to re-download that game, and I'm going to Zerg Rush you, and it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to Protoss you into oblivion. No. Are you a Protoss guy? You would be a I'll, Protoss uh, guy. Of course I'm a Protoss guy. <laughs> Got to build strong defense first and then just annihilate everyone with your superior no, power technology. No, one million Zerglings, two minutes into the game, <laughs> I win, you're sad. There are there are ways to create defensive positions to stop the Zerg rush. Of course, this is all strange. It is. That would be okay, fun. Okay, we, so anyways. So anyways, it was, it, was, it was just really great to meet them. Good. I had a great time. It's always great to find, and I know they, they listen to the podcast sometimes, so it was just great to listen to meet some, although I forgot to bring stickers, uh, so I apologize, guys. Um, but just really great to meet some fellow podcast listeners and some fellow Canadians. They're from a place called Saskatoon. That sounds like a made-up name. I knew you were going to say that, and it kind of <laughs> does, actually. Yeah. It kind of does. But uh, that's where they're from. And I've been there once before in Saskatchewan, which is also sounds like a made-up name. Yes, correct. So, yeah. That was great. It was just nice, a nice way to spend a day of rest. Oh, oh, and then I went to Costco, and of course... 
I got the Costco hot dog, which is always, you see, that's the real reason everyone goes to Costco. You go to get the hot dog and then you might as well get some groceries while you're at it. It's not, I'm going to get some groceries and might as well get a hot dog <laughs> while you're at it. Right? Yes. You, 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 the, the Costco hot dog is a great deal. $1.50 for a pop and a hot dog. You can't but it. I feel like, I feel like, uh, like going to the grocery store is a task. Going to Costco is an event. It is. It is. Yeah. Although I find, I mean, again, Costco bases their supplies on the best prices they can get so sometimes they don't have things you want and stuff like that mm -hmm. so it can be frustrating sometimes i was looking for some things yesterday they didn't have that they usually did but yeah costco is an event and it's because it's not you don't just go i mean i was looking around at because we want to get a small fridge for our sacristy and i'm oh, like yeah huh. so starting to do fridge shopping a bit while i was there and stuff like that i'm like this is kind of fun it's it's not just a food place <laughs> we are not sponsored by costco <laughs> we are not but it's a, I mean, uh, yeah. Nor I, I, are we I, sponsored by Twitter, but, but we're going to read people's tweets anyway. You've been missing it. It's the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. People may have been missing the segment. I have a feeling some people, uh, some people may um, not may miss the segment, but not the bumper. Yes. So if we if we have any new listeners, the um, Summa Tweetologica bumper is one of the first things that producer Nick uh, constructed when he was making this podcast, and it is the most polarizing feature of the podcast. You either love it or you hate it. Uh, but yes. we're going to keep it forever. So. Yep. Because we love our producer. Yes. Here's a tweet from Father Patrick Hyde, OP, and he says, My spiritual director asked me once, do you want to be the greatest Dominican ever? I said something pious. He responded, run so as to win, brother. If you don't want to be the greatest in the holiness, you, could re you should reconsider your vocation. It changed my life. Glory be to God. I really like this because there can be this temptation to like, okay, what's the holy thing to say? What's the pious thing to say? And the idea of being the greatest or being the holiest, uh, that doesn't sound, that sounds not so humble, right? But in, understood in the right context, like you should be striving for greatness. Now, greatness has to be properly understood, but I'd rather have people err on the side of striving for holiness, striving for greatness, than a kind of like, oh no, I could never be holy, I could never be great. Because the thing is, the thing that makes you holy, the thing that makes you great is God's grace. It's not what you're doing, it's being responsive to what God is doing. And I, like pursuing that wholeheartedly, that is a good thing in the spiritual life. Yes, so I have two things to say. First, mm -hmm. I know exactly why you chose this tweet. Why? Because it's the only one you put in our DM. Yes. So I because have been very I did bad. the rest of the work. <laughs> because someone's got to pull their weight around here. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I I, de I definitely generally agree with this. I think for me, it, it's the problem is this running after the greatness. Like, and I think it's important you said like properly understood is really yeah. important. 
it's not our own it is not our own idealization of a vocation of what we think priesthood or married life or whatever should be but it is the form and mission that god has gifted to us that we ought to be conforming our lives to so it's got to be more objective and less subjective and i say that because like especially when you're younger and i think we all experience this when we're in our early 20s and we're kind of on fire in the faith we create a lot of idealizations of what we think the church should be what we think holiness should look like and it comes up and i mean that's part of the process of running but it needs to be purified it needs to be purified so that it becomes um, exuberance towards one's mission with a healthy enthusiasm and not an unhealthy enthusiasm, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the key. It, it, so, But it also, like, what I like about this is it's about the greatness, the the grandeur of our desire. And I think so often we get bogged down by our own insignificance by our own frailty and failures by just the world around us that it, um, we, we create a smallness of heart yeah right and the whole point with that this tweet is, is 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 proposing is no your heart has actually got a greatness like it's got an openness and expanse it's actually infinite because God is infinite mm-hmm. you know it's that, that corny phrase our, our heart it's like a donut our, our heart is like a donut shaped and only and the only one to fill the hole is god or whatever that is um there yes there's a hole in your heart that only god can fill yeah 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 something like that yeah so and then there's <laughs> something it's, like it's, it's, yeah. it's a little it's a little corny but it, it, uh, it's, it's but it's true it's true. also true it's also true <laughs> we are created for god who is the greatest the most ultimate the most beautiful um, not anything in this universe, but above and beyond this universe. And there's something in us that is created for that. Right. And so we have to, we have to expand our heart, which only comes through the life of sanctity, through charity, virtue, prayer, etc., to grow. Like essentially the whole human life is about training to expand the heart. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what you said about desire is really important because that that is, I think, one of the greatest, um, not just indicators, but whether or not you will, yeah, one of the greatest indicators or uh, necessary things in the spiritual life. Because um, very often, like if we're bogged down by a certain kind of sin and we feel like we'll never get out of it, a lot of times the truth is that uh, we don't desire to be rid of it, that a part of us wants to cling desperately to it. Uh, or, you know, we, we've all felt the, the lack of desire to pray. Uh, one of the best things you can pray for and ask for the gift of is a greater desire, a greater desire to love, a greater desire to pursue God, um, a greater desire to renounce yourself. Uh, and the thing about that, about increasing your desire, is that part of that's like a painful thing because desire implies a kind of lacking. So it's kind of entering into the pain of what you do not have that, in a sense, motivates you to gain what you desire, if that makes sense. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very much like running so as to win the race. Like there is a pain if you have not won yet, but it's that desire that makes you run fast. Yep. And I think, I don't know, 
one of the kind of brain worms that's been kind of hanging around my brain a lot lately is this is the issue of desire mm-hmm. and how desireless we are as a society interesting same right way. well so i mean in a way this is acedia right uh and acedia means i don't desire the good right i have there is no desire desire is kind of killed mm-hmm. and this is actually really this is really hard though on the part of evangelization when there is no desire there is no um need to seek out god yeah and i th- i really i just think existentially we are a desireless culture we have like we have and by and i don't mean that like i don't mean that desire like i, w- I want to eat right, you know right. i want to procreate whatever it's <laughs> it's 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 a lack of a hunger for the greatest good yeah and i think it's a fear to enter into the pain of desire a fear to enter into your own emptiness um there's definitely a a kind of desire but it's a desire for distraction uh a desire for a quick fix not entering deeply into yourself and to the grand questions of what it means to be a human being or to pursue god it's that desire that you need to awaken but also it's a problem for evangelization not just because a desireless culture if you will but very often how often do parishes lack desire Yes. There's a yes. lack of a desire to go out and spread the gospel, to evangelize. There's right. instead just a, you know, a clinging and a holding on to what we have and entering a defensive stance and trying to keep things the same as they always have been because there's something comfortable about that. There's that lack of desire that hinders evangelization going out. And the best, I think, I've always, I don't know, my opinion is the best way to awaken desire is or the best thing to do that is the saint mm-hmm. i don't know about you because like when i read saint stories it inspires me mm-hmm. it, it, it's like a call to my heart to recognize the expanse it's created for yeah i, I think on the other side there's always that um feeling where you i mean i think everyone has experienced this you've read a life of a saint and then you immediately become despondent because you're like right. oh i could never be like that but uh, what's I think it's in in Saint Augustine's um, Confessions, um, or maybe no, I think it's I think it's in there where like he sees people being converted, mm-hmm. and that awakens his desire. Like these people yeah, are exactly. doing this, people exactly. that like you know aren't much different than I am. Or if you look at um, Saint Ignatius of Loyola, when he was um, before his conversion, as he was reading the lives of the saints, he's like, what if I acted like um, Saint Francis of Assisi? What if I did these things? And that desire is awakened because also you have the real possibility. You have Christian hope that God desires this for you. So the one thing that keeps, I think, that can keep you from becoming despondent when you look at the lives of the saints is that uh, what made them a saint is the same thing that's going to make you a saint. Not personal talents or any of that stuff or personal power or whatever, but God's love for you, God's mercy, yeah. God's grace. That is just as available to you as it is to Ignatius of Loyola, St. Augustine, Francis of Assisi, all of them. Yeah. You have the exact same opportunity that they have. And to the, but that, and that's the key, and that's where prayer comes in, right? Mm-hmm. The receptivity of heart to just to learn and to train you. I think the first step of awakening desire is learning how to receive. 
mm-hmm. right? Which means first acknowledging a lack, right? Yep. And that happens in prayer. So that because the other danger that you can run into is you read the lies of saints, you think I have to be this saint. Right. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. God, there is a particular mission bestowed to you as a child of God that God has given to you to be a saint. And often it's not actually that difficult. It's living a loving family life as Catholics, where you're praying together as a family, where you're suffering together, where you're coming up against each other. The family is a great place, a great training ground in holiness, probably one of the greatest. Um, often that's the place and that's it. And that's all you have to do. Yeah, it's funny because so often like uh, I'll look at families I consider very holy and they're like, oh, what sh- we should be doing something more or how do I do this? Or I'm like, and I look at them I'm like, you're doing great. Yeah, <laughs> you're, exactly. You're praying in the home. You're trying to teach yeah. your kids the faith. Yeah, they're still really squiggly at mass. Well, they're kids. That's okay. You're still going to mass and showing them that you care about that. Like that's where like uh, greatness, there's greatness even there. It might not look exactly the same as this saint or that saint, but that that's greatness. Right. Cool. Yeah. All right. So for my next tweet, this one comes from um, at Chance the Rapper, and it's a retweet. Um, this, is, of, this is so self-indulgent. <laughs> of a man named Father, at, at Father Harrison. <laughs> and uh, at Father Harrison says, love the art he uses here. And he's quote tweeting a tweet from Chance about his new song, Holy, about his kind of little section and he uses some african-american iconography i would say so can i just uh, uh just just to clarify what you're trying to say chance the rapper retweeted you that's the point of this you're very excited that it's chance well, it's excited. It's also, is a rapper retweeted. it's also absurd <laughs> right isn't this absurd it's like this is weird this is weird and i, I do it and i had a few people tweet it's like oh i should show, go on the sumo and i'm like yeah do you know what i'm gonna use my my hosting powers for good here i'm and, so uh, disappointed in you uh yeah so the, he, he retweeted the tweet where i just quote tweeted to his video where he's doing his his rap section from holy which is actually have you heard this yet the song i have not okay i highly encourage everyone to check it out um it's got a lot of song of song vibes because mm-hmm. it's talking about holy, but it's the holy of of love, of like human love, uh, and how this evokes a kind of, I would call it a transcendent experience between the lover and the beloved, and how, but intentionally or not, it points towards God Himself, and it becomes an image of God's love for us and our love for God, which is very much what the song of songs is all about. And and this so I, I when I when I first saw the video I was just like wow this is intriguing and and Chance's section has some really beautiful theological stuff in it that's really good so uh, it's I, I'm actually quite moved by this song even though Justin Bieber's the main guy in it. Well, you know we've been doing we're not really an interview podcast we've been doing a lot of interviews the last few months uh, and we're gonna kind of. St- stay away from that and get back to what we normally do that being said if chance the rapper really wants to come on our podcast i am willing to make an exception is that okay. fair that's that's fair okay. i just thought it, it was also just really funny and absurd that this actually happened well that's the one like uh one of the neat things about twitter uh yeah there's a lot of a lot of pitfalls and a lot of terrible stuff out there but uh the weird connections that can be made where a canadian priest is retweeted by chance the rapper that's kind of neat it is kind of neat so i just wanted to share the neat absurdity and joy of it all. 
<laughs> your joy brings me joy. Good. And indeed, <laughs> what is the point of having a podcast if you can't revel in your own Twitter glory every once exactly. in a while? Exactly. <laughs> it was just... I was like, I couldn't believe it. I really could. I was like, this is hilarious. Because I, I do follow him on Twitter. Yeah. So I was just like, this is really funny. That's adorable. <laughs> All right. It's time for Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn so much. It's my favorite part. Oh. It's oh. the best part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Quite. Yes. Quite. Quite. All right. So I want to talk about something. Okay. I was uh, talking on the phone with a good buddy of mine who has been doing uh, evangelization, community building at a parish, is branching out and doing more independent work along those lines, and had an experience where people that he thought were his friends in the parish began turning against him. He finds out that there's different groups in the parish, uh, different clubs that uh, want him out or have been speaking about him behind his back. And just how disheartened he was by that. Now, luckily, um, the pastor has his back and fully supports his mission and everything. And that's that's huge. That's really a great thing to have. But just, you know, he was telling me how hurt he was. And the, the saddest thing about this conversation was that he was just so tired. And you could hear it in his voice. Just so tired. And he said, I'm, I am just sick of the church saying that she doesn't want me. Now, of course, in a grand sense, that's not true. The church does want him. But when you have this experience of like members of the church, uh, pe- not just people in parishes, but staff people in parishes, time and time again, actively trying to thwart the good thing you're doing, yeah, it's understandable that your feeling is it just seems like the church doesn't want me. And I just kind of added him to a list that I have in my mind. And it's a list of people mostly lay people who have tried to give their lives to the church in a specific ministerial or apostolic kind of way, uh, who have either been youth ministers or tried to be evangelists or uh, tried to start something new in the parish, tried to build community in a new way, and how time and time again their experience is being crushed either by the pastor or the other groups in the parish of being undermined or of having uh, the people in the parish actively work against them. And I want to make a distinction here, um, because the people I'm talking about, they're not, like, bad at their jobs. It's not like they are incapable of doing something, and so they're being asked not to do it, you know? It's not like uh, they are a cancer that can't hit any kind of notes, and therefore should not be a cancer. It's nothing like that. It's the people who are actually very good at this, who have the right mindset, who have uh, an understanding either explicitly or intuitively of the mission of Vatican II, uh, who understand ministry and want to build that up in the parish. There's so many people, either who I know personally or I'm hearing more and more anecdotally, who've experienced just kind of being crushed by parishes. And this has been in my mind for a long time uh, because I always, you know, what's, it's sad. But my, my first instinct when I find out that someone wants to um, 
especially a young person who's very excited about something, let's just say youth ministry, and wants to work for a parish and be a good youth minister. My first thought or my first emotion isn't joy. It's what, are you crazy? It's not even what you're crazy. It's like, oh, you're going to get crushed. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be hard. Um, Because I know so many people who like, who have flat out said, I will never work for a parish again. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's what I want to talk about. What the heck is going on? Because I, I, the more and more I'm finding out that this is not an uncommon experience. Right. So can I throw in a qualification? Yeah, please. About this too. I think, I don't want to say this. Sometimes though, like I, I think in a way that's actually, I mean, you know this as well as I do. Mm-hmm. That's part of ministry is the being crushed (laughs) yeah yeah right so and it's about learning that actually yeah the church is insufficient to her task the the parish has sometimes incompetencies within her structure and what no matter how good of a pastor you have or how good of an administrative staff you have or as good of a youth minister you have um there will be roadblocks always because the church is both holy and sinful and we have holy and, and sometimes I think even the resistance doesn't come from a sinful place it often comes from a misinformed place or an mm-hmm. ideological place but I think that's actually an important lesson to learn in ministry is is how can I adapt my because it also in a way it does actually require kind of to use a theological term, a, a kenosis, a self-emptying of what I want ministry to be mm-hmm. and to enter into the process of a parish and to be more of a leaven instead of a wrecking ball. Yeah. Right. And I sure. think, and I think sometimes like people who are good and, and everything come in, but they want to be a wrecking ball instead of a leaven. And 11 means you have to adapt yourself often to the way that people are. So as to slowly change them from within, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that yeah. is a very real possibility that you maybe have a person who is very zealous, who has learned all the things and is ready to go and do the things they've learned because the the image of ministry or of parish life in their head is perfectly formed. It is a platonic form, <laughs> yeah. and so they're going to smoosh it onto the parish. Mm-hmm. And that can, like, you end up stepping on people's toes, right. uh, people who have been uh, giving their life to the parish um for much longer than you have and maybe you exclude them and they're hurt and so that's yep. why they lash out you I think that's a very real thing that can happen yeah and I think again that doesn't mean to be that person goes away but that's a proper that is an important time of purification that someone has to go through in ministry yes and I think that can be the case but yeah. uh, it also but being disappointed by by parish life doesn't just happen because of that Either. Right. I mean, yes. yeah, absolutely. Thing. Absolutely. I just think I just know it happens too, and it's just right. important to recognize that. But I'm not discounting what you're saying either. Right. Um, and I think what makes this so difficult for people is that people uh, are pretty comfortable. I mean, it's a painful thing, but you're comfortable with the idea of your job, like your secular job, being not great, or maybe your your boss at your work does not care about you. That is disappointing. That is a difficult thing to manage. But it's like, okay, this is my jobby job, right? It's different when it's coming from a parish. 
because it feels much more like this is your family rejecting you, right? This is, you know, uh, the Christianity, the Catholic Church, this is what I've devoted my entire life to. And these are the people that are attacking me. And it gets very much into, uh, like, the Psalms and uh, especially those Psalms of David where, you know, if, it, if this had been an enemy, I could handle it. But it's my friend. <laughs> it's the person who had Pursue my back. my own companion. Yes. My intimate friend. Yeah. And that's where the real pain comes from. Because there's this idea that, like, the church should be better. It should be better than a secular corporation. It's not any corporation. It's the corpus. It's the body of Christ. And it should be better. That's that's the, the feeling, right? And I don't think that's wrong. Like, yes, absolutely. The church is full of sinners. and But it's also full of Christians. And shouldn't it be better? Like... Yeah, I get there's a temptation to say, well, you know, the church has always been sinful. You have all these personalities, blah, blah, blah. This is just going to happen. And I don't disagree with that. But I also really empathize with the fact that, like, well, we should be better. What do you think? Right. Yeah. Oh, I think we should be better. It's just, okay, what's the method of going about that? Mm. Right? Um, It's about, and it means you got to, and I think, I, I think in some ways, the way parishes are structured, we aren't built to allow, for example, time for someone who's new in a job to just settle in and to get immersed into the life of the parish, so then they could build something up. So, for example, I, if if you were getting someone to do young adult ministry, I would almost say I'm not expecting any results for you for the next year. I don't even care if you have a program or not. I want you to pray, fast, penance, and I want you to go to people's houses and get to know them. Mm-hmm. Go to the college campus and get to know them, and that's it. That's all you're doing for the year. And then you just get immersed in the life of the parish. And you become a one instead of this outsider who kind of comes in and says, this is what I want to do. You become – and then it's a, then it's an act of – and then while some people might have disagreements about something, they're more apt to be on board because they know you. But the problem is parishes aren't – they don't think this way generally. Priests don't think this way. And I get it. To an extent, it's like I, I know in my parish I don't have the budget to hire anyone else. Mm-hmm. So if I if I somehow made the risk to do that, to say to people, I'm going to spend $50,000 this year to hire someone to do something and then not show them anything for a year is a very difficult sell. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah. And it's a massive financial risk uh, because it could bankrupt your parish, <laughs> which is not good either, right? And there's like all these factors going on. So I don't, I feel like we're not in a place of a mentality to take the risks necessary to allow people to come in to do ministry in an authentic way. And so they just come in and they're essentially told to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. What I don't, I don't think with ministry that like you and I, when we, even though we're ordained priests and stuff like that, like when we're first putting in a parish, I mean, yeah, we got stuff to do. We got, we're saying masses and stuff, but I find it generally, if you're a new priest, you don't hit the ground fully running right away in your new parish or whatever. It's like it, they slowly integrate you. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Um, I mean, heck, I mean, uh, I mean, again, not so much in my diocese because we're so short on priests, but I know a lot of parochial culture is like when you're a parochial vicar is, uh, I mean, you're, you don't really have a whole lot of duties outside of the sacraments. Yeah. Right. Like usually I mean, there's not depends. a lot expected of you. Um, like, okay, say the masses because we need, we need someone to say masses. And maybe you'll uh, look over like uh, the men's, the men's group or whatever. Yeah. You're kind of like their liaison or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Usually. 
And then yeah. over time, as you get more and more used to the parish, you see where the needs are. You see where your own desires are. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, it's it's hard to fire a priest. Yes. And I, I think this is this is kind of I think it's going to match up a little bit with uh, the episode of um, that we did on um, catching foxes. No, no. Um, oh. I mean, maybe a little bit of that too. And I, I think they actually might that. be talking about. I have a suspicion this week they'll also be talking about the same thing we are. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Uh, about seminary. Okay. Because uh, people, I think, have lower expectations for the priest. Uh, that like, you, like we just, you just know you're stuck with the priest. And if you've been in that parish for a long time, like you are used to the fact that whatever priest you got is the priest you have. And you're not going to change that, right? For better or for worse. But this person that is hired, who is not a priest, well, there's not either that same resignation or the same respect. Right. There's a different uh, way that we judge staff members and lay ministers in a parish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But like what you said, so the example that you gave about... Um, hiring someone, giving them a year, focusing on a spiritual... That requires an attitude where you do not see the parish as simply institutional. Exactly. You see it as led by the Holy Spirit. Yes. And that requires really heroic leadership. Leadership that like, the priest has to truly trust in divine providence. <laughs> that is, it, I hate to say this, that's actually quite rare. It is, because that means that the priest has to be willing to suffer from his people as well. Because, I mean, you'll you, you hear this all the time, and this is a weird, this, I think it's not as popular now, but it was popular uh, a little bit before now, where there's this idea, it's like, well, you know, the parish is a business. Why don't we get business people to run the business things? Oh, no, that's very, that's very popular right now. Is it? Okay, still oh, is. Yeah. And I think you see that along a lot of people who are, you know, very, very s- successful um, in a secular manner. They've been running their businesses. They look at the church and how the church takes care of its grounds or it's, you know, the, the plant, the property or other stuff. And they're like, wow, you're doing a terrible job at this. Why don't we just run this more like a business? Now, there's an aspect of that where, like, some of those tools actually can be useful. But very often it bleeds over into the things that are intangible. Like, you can't say, I put, if I put $5 into youth ministry, I get how many souls? Like, it doesn't work that way. Right. And so you can't put on paper the effects of the money that you're giving to a parish. And often you really can't see it until 10, 15 years down the line anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we don't have this thinking. We, we have this, we're very, parishes are driven by very, and I, I, Oh man, I'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying this, but uh, um, do it, 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 do it. I think this mentality has grown in the church because of certain versions of church renewal projects and movements in the church. Let let us be results oriented. Let us be business oriented. Instead of like we're not like I actually tweeted about this yesterday. We're not acting out of the ecclesial identity that the church actually is. We're acting out of professional standards or whatever but the parish and the church in general has a self-understanding that is very unique and isn't akin to a business it has business elements 
and those parts are worth doing well and proper. Absolutely. But she's not a business. She's the sacrament of salvation. Right? And so our actions and our decisions have to flow from that. Whether it be liturgical or pastoral or ministerial. But so few priests, unfortunately, and I don't think it comes from a bad place, but it comes from the mentality. Like, I, I mentioned it before when we did our Mary podcast, and I think that actually, be, in some ways, that is a spiritual rooting of what we're talking about right now. Um, but where Pope Benedict, or Ratzinger, I should say, because he was the cardinal at the time, Ratzinger says that the church is too masculine, right? She does too much. She's too much oriented on doing and has lost the sense of being, right? And that we need to become more merry and we have to become more receptive, which means patience, waiting, time, giving time. And we're, we're not, we're, we suck at this. We suck at this. We're <laughs> yeah. horrible at this because yep. our even our priestly identity has not been formed in a Marian fashion. Mm-hmm. And we have to be. So then we, when we take people in, we form our parish then around this Marian aspect. We form our staff around this aspect to learn to wait, see, and receive so as to let the Holy Spirit to be the primary mover. This isn't a quietism, but it's rather a sense of saying, I respond. Because then I think, only then will I think you cease to see the lay burnout. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want, okay, let's take a step back. I'm sorry. I don't know no, if I'm no, getting away so from good. your topic. I want to do both uh, the personal and, and the macro. So okay. <laughs> at the same time, let's see if this works. Okay. So I think it's fair to say that the church is experiencing a difficult time. Correct. Yes. In absolutely. many ways, uh, the church has forgotten how to be who she is. Yes. If we look scripturally, whenever like the people of Israel have forgotten to be who they are, have turned away from themselves, from worshiping the true God, from trusting in earthly powers or other kingdoms instead of trusting the Lord and justice to uh, the poor and all of that and right worship once they abandon that and go purely for the mechanical uh purely for the you know institutional thing what does god do uh he usually uh how do i put it he usually exiles them or punishes israel in some way right. or allows the suffering to come their way exactly but either before that or during that, what else does he do? He sends a prophet. Yeah, he does. And Father Harrison, since you're so good at answering all my questions, what's the basic um, career path of a prophet? Death and destruction. Yes. <laughs> so they do everything right, right? They, they go out. They speak truth to power. They attempt to be obedient to God and they get crushed for it. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped, right? That's right. Yep. So what does, I mean, so I see these people who are these bright spots in the church. It's not just even people in in ministry. uh, It's also very often uh, parishioners who have a desire for something more for the parish. Um, These bright spots in the darkness. They get sent, this is desire in their heart to do something, and they are met by the rest of the people crushing them, ignoring them, turning them into the enemy, turning them into the problem, right? A lot of times the kings will look at the prophets and say, it's your fault 
because you're prophesying evil against us. Or it's your fault because you're causing a ruckus and you're the reason why we're going to be conquered or something like that, right? And this is what happens today. That uh, whatever, whatever ladies group or Knights of Columbus or whoever uh, looks at someone who's trying to do the right thing and call the church back to herself and they say, no, you're the problem. What is the person's role in that? The, the, the prophet, the person who's trying to call the church back to herself, it is to suffer. And so, this is the part where it, I think it's, it's difficult to counsel people. Because especially if you have a family, you're trying to make a living, and parish life is crushing you, and maybe you're bringing some of that pain home to your family, and you've run up into walls again and again and again, I don't blame you for leaving parish ministry. I don't. Um, and it might be indeed the right thing to do. But I struggle with that and the other aspect of like, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. That, okay, maybe your ministry isn't looking like what it should be or the parish isn't looking like it should be. But you're entering into Christ's suffering. And, you know, we, we just talked about how the fact that when you do something good for the parish, you might not see the results for 10, 15 years. I think this is where it requires a lot of trust in divine providence, a lot of trust in God to say, like, your suffering for this parish will bear fruit one day. And that is, I mean, I, it, I, I, th- I find it very difficult to ask people to be martyrs. I think that's a big ask, but also I think that as a priest, I have to make that ask. Yes. It's and like, it, yeah. it's also required of us as priests. Yeah, it is. Especially as pastors, I would say. Yeah. Well, I think the pastor should go first. Yes. Because I think a lot, of the, a lot of the reason why the pastor will throw so-and-so staff member under the bus is because the pastor is afraid of suffering. The pastor is afraid to take the bullets. Because the pastor has so many things on his mind or is trying to do whatever else. You know what is a quick solution to a bunch of cranky people? Like, let's say uh, all the people in the parish with the with the deep pockets, they're very upset because you're changing the schedule for faith formation. And that is difficult for them to handle because they can schedule everything else in their lives. But having to make a sacrifice for a schedule for faith formation is just unacceptable. All right. Is the pastor willing to suffer through that? Does the pastor see that the person is doing something good and they support them? And here's the other thing, like the like about leadership. The pastor, the priest, isn't just a boss. Mm-hmm. He has to He's be a father. father. And I would say even say he has to be a father first for his staff and his ministers. I mean, that's your inner circle. That's your twelve. That's those are the ones that you have to stick up for and support and form and lead and encourage and empower first. And if you're going to do that, then you're going to suffer. And you might get a bad reputation for a while. And maybe even some people may leave. And you cannot panic about that. Because this is another thing that happens like in parish. If we get really obsessed with our own image or the image of the parish, every complaint becomes an emergency. Mm-hmm. You, your entire um, mode of being is reactionary. Yep. Well, I got one angry letter. So now we have to change everything. Well, actually, you don't. 
Right. Maybe you can, maybe you have to like sit down with that person if they're even willing to sit down mm-hmm. and minister to that person and do that sort of thing. Maybe there's some things you need to tweak, but you don't walk down the hallway and start screaming at a a staff member or a minister who has maybe even made a mistake. Maybe even they screwed up. Mm-hmm. But even those mistakes aren't emergencies. Like this is something like when we get a a a new person who's entering into ministry, a young person, are we just concerned with the immediate or do we realize we can help form this person to be a great gift for the church even exactly. beyond my own parish? Exactly. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. there's parish territorialism with all that too, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. First, I think this is going to tie in well with next week's episode. Okay. Um, because I'm going to talk about suffering. Yeah. And why it's essential to Christian life. Okay, good. Um, and I, I agree with you. I, I there's also though there's always and again this is why you need the priest who's a god who's going to be a good father in all this because there is two mentalities towards suffering. There is it's coming at you, or you have almost like a martyr's complex, and sure. just always see yourself as the martyr for the truth. Yeah, with mm-hmm. which which removes the ability of being of self-analyzing and self-reflecting over things and seeing where have I gone wrong? What did I do wrong? Okay. Mm-hmm. And by this, I mean, like, I think the mode of suffering, if it's going to be truly heroic and good for a parish, you will never see yourself as the martyr, but you'll always enter into the suffering in a state in being in being dazed and confused, if you will, <laughs> because that's so part of like, the suffering. You know, like you enter into like martyrs don't, or maybe it's like you enter into martyrdom without seeing yourself as this heroic martyr. Exactly, exactly, right. Because your it's focus just like, is on love. Your focus is on exactly. the mission. Your I'm doing this for Christ. the good of the people. Yep. And oh, right, it's bringing suffering. Man, this sucks. Um, and because like that's the thing. If because if if you go in, if you go with the attitude that you are the martyr. And I'm talking about this like white martyrdom, so it is different than red martyrdom. Um, yeah. No, red martyrdom. You are going in to be the martyr. That that is the fact. Um, <laughs> um, it, it removes the suffering of it all because you're actually not really entering into the suffering. You're anesthetizing it. You're you're with with this ideology that well, I'm just you know I'm just standing up for the church and what she really is, and so I'm gonna suffer all this right um, yeah it's like a self-aggrandizing you know. victimology that's different yeah, exactly. than real suffering sure exactly exactly so that's, I just think I say that as a caveat but I think what you're talking about too is and this is I think yeah suffering is uh, a mode of grace that does a work for the good of the parish in invisible ways right this is this is the nature this I I live in my body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be visible in me, St. Paul says. Like, mm-hmm. read St. Paul, folks. It's, it's very clear. Suffer- Three times the storm was in my side, and I asked the Lord to remove it. And he says, I will not, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. For when I am weak, there I am strong, because the power of Christ resides in me. Like, over and over again, this is the, this is the, this is the New Testament that we've lost. And this is stuff I'm going to talk about next week, because... Um, if that if we actually internalize that truth of what it means to be human we will embrace the suffering but you need at the same time and i think this is where it gets hard for lay people who work in the church suffering is rarely done alone Mm -hmm. 
yes, you have a family to go back to, but when it comes to ministry, you do need a father who has your back. So that's the thing. If the pastor is not a good leader, if the priest refuses to be father, none of this works. You will exactly. not make any... Pro- you just won't. It's not your fault. It's just that a, a leader who is powerless cannot empower others. A leader who is constantly concerned about his image or um, constantly concerned about all these worldly things, that's just going to be a brick wall that you cannot break down. And I think there comes a time where it is acceptable to shake the dust off your feet and leave. And that's a difficult decision to make because you love the people you minister to. You know, you, you are going to miss those relationships. You know that you are genuinely doing good. And now that you're not there, you won't be able to do good there. But there is that time in Israel's history where God finally says, okay, I, I gave you the truth. I sent you the prophets. You still said no. So now it's time for exile. And yeah, most of the people who went to exile and suffered through that were deserving. But there were also, you know, you know, probably a sliding scale of how much suffering they deserved. But the entire community suffers because of that. Right. So, okay. I'm always trying to think about some of our listeners and, and they hear this. This is good. Mm-hmm. They kind of agree with Hopefully. it. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, okay. How, if you're, if you're a lay person in the pew. How can you support people who are trying to to do this good in lay ministry? On a very basic level, if you get an, if like a minister or a priest for that matter, but if a minister is getting an email from a parent or parishioner, it's usually not with good news. Mm -hmm. It's usually not with a thank you. Mm -hmm. If you see something good happening, don't just point it out to that minister or that staff member. Tell them, yes, but tell the priest as well. Say, thank you for hiring this person, or this person has really brought me closer to Jesus Christ. A lot of times, because, you know, if the priest is just concerned about image, uh, you can help that minister out by saying, hey, this guy's really doing good stuff for me. Yeah. Right? Um, So just that communication of affirmation can make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with priests. I think people often forget, like, Bishops, when they get a letter about their priest, is usually not good. Mm-hmm. And so it's important, you know, if you know, if you have a priest who's doing a relatively good job, write your bishop and say, "Hey, I really appreciate what they're doing. I just oh, want yeah. you to know they're doing a good job." Um, well, I think also, and I, I talked about this, I think enough in the episode about seminarians, mm-hmm. but this experience of being either betrayed by your community or being crushed for trying to do a good thing, I think seminarians probably experience this the worst. Right. Um, so just say, yeah, I, I see you. I hear yeah. you. Yeah, um, yeah I guess yeah, that's important. There, yeah. Just acknowledge that. And it's, yeah. it, I do think we need to, we need to, we need to be, this is where I think like theological training is so important. Mm-hmm. We need to be more theologically rooted in the church's identity as she is. And when we do that, lay ministry is going to look much more vibrant again it's not perfect oh but yeah because uh, like also remember too fine you quit the job at this parish the next parish isn't going to be any different there is no greener parish right on the other um, side in a, sen- in a uh, sense of like i think i think there are shades of green 
Okay, that's fair. There are shades of green. I yeah. would agree with this. I mean, you're this, always going to run up with people who are trying to tear you down. That's what I'm trying, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And there's always going to be parish politics. Yes. But, you know, the difference between a pastor who supports you and a pastor who doesn't is huge. It's massive. Yes, right? yes. I, no, that's, and that's what I mean. I'm just saying, like, there's always going to be resistance no matter where you go. Like, and I think, again, talking about the suffering thing, St. Paul's phrase, we hold these treasures in clay vessels. Mm-hmm. Right? And this, this is the, that's the church. The church is a clay vessel. <laughs> yeah. And recognizing that we are always going to be insufficient to the task. No parish is ever going to get it perfectly. True. Um, and that's part of the suffering. But here's the good news about all that. God still works his grace in our insufficiency. Right. You see, if you, if you get over obsessed with perfect parish. Yeah. You are actually creating an idol out of the church in which she's meant to be. She's yeah. meant to be a clay vessel, which is imperfect because that's how the power of God resides in her and manifests herself, manifests himself in her. Yeah. I would just say finally, uh, if you are a staff member or a minister or working in a parish, please, 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 please take care of yourself. Please pray. Um, you should be meeting with, if not a spiritual director, at least a spiritual friend regularly. Make it a priority because, you know, it's not just, I and mean, this is, goes back to our episode on the kind of uh, spiritual warfare and, and stuff in parishes as well. It's um, the, the enemy is attacking you. If you're doing good things, then the enemy is attacking you or the en- enemy is whispering into the ears of the other people who are attacking you. So to remember to pray for them, to pray your St. Michael prayer. Um, to take care of yourself, to go on retreats, to make your family life a priority. Like, never feel guilty about taking care of yourself because if you're burnt out and just destroyed, uh, you might have to abandon your mission before it's time. Um, and it's very easy to go down a road of complete bitterness and anger. And like I said, all that's very understandable. I'm not blaming anyone for that, but I would prefer if that did not happen to you. And one way to, to work on that is to take care of yourself spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Um, never feel guilty about that. And I, I would, you know, I would almost maybe, if I if I were to have like a full-time young adult worker or something like that, I'd mm-hmm. almost make it a priority for them to have a holy hour every day. It's part of their job. It's yeah. part of your paid position. Yep. Because you're you actually paid, doing work. You get paid, paid to, pray, to pray, baby. <laughs> because you're doing a work for the church. I mean, this is the other thing. It's like we we get, oh, man, we get so stuck. And I, I'm just, I'm noticing again, we're just getting sucked back into all the activism. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. And yeah. it's hard to resist as a pastor. It is. It is very hard to resist and not get and not succumb to it. Because that well, that road is very wide and easy to travel. You're right. But I keep on saying, like, we, we need it. God is teaching us a lesson in this moment and we mm-hmm. haven't learned it yet. Sorry. So I guess this is my final, final word <laughs> is if, if you're someone who's listening to this and you've been in ministry and you've been stabbed in the back or people have not supported you or you feel betrayed. I, as a priest on behalf of the church, I genuinely apologize. That was not fair Amen. that that happened to you. You did not deserve that. Uh, I pray truly um, for healing for you. And, and I say this, this is not a quip. This is not uh, a shallow piety. Quite truly, your reward will be great in heaven for going through what you've gone through. And if you've decided to step away from parish ministry because you cannot do it anymore, 
uh, I fully support that. That's fine. There is nothing wrong with that. You know, um, there's no reason to feel guilty about that at all. And if you're still in the midst of it, uh, and you're still in the midst of the battle, uh, hopefully some part of what we said has been helpful on some level. Yes. Amen. All right. Well, guys, uh, thanks for listening to Clerically Speaking. As I pull up the notes for what I say next. Gotta make sure Nick is listening to the end of the episode. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me downloading StarCraft 2, getting ready to Zerg Rush Father Harrison. <laughs> you can find me at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook or email us at clerically speaking. Sorry. At, yeah, at clerically speaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.